Welcome to episode three of Join the Food Fight, Libraries and Food Insecurity, a Team Vittles podcast. Today, Sarah and I will be speaking with Ashley Rodebush of Children's Hunger Alliance, Janet Ingram Dwyer from the State Library of Ohio, and Patricia Dolish from the Perry Cook Memorial Library. Today, we will introduce you to CACFP, which is the Child and Adult Care Food Program, the Summer Food Service Program's school year cousin. And we'll be discussing the changes in requirements during the COVID pandemic and how you and just about anyone can now get involved in the food fight. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Today's podcast is going to be about the new normal for uh, food and libraries and what that means for the rest of the community as well, as a lot of libraries are branching out, partnering with more organizations outside the library in order to get that food out to people during the pandemic. Why don't we go ahead and start uh, with some introductions? Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure. Um, my name is Ashley Rodebush. I am the After School and Summer Nutrition Manager at Children's Hunger Alliance. Been there for about two years now and really excited to share more information about the work we do and um, resources we can provide. Yeah. Janet? Hi, I'm Janet Ingraham Dwyer. I am the Youth Services Library Consultant at the State Library of Ohio which is a state agency that provides support services for libraries as well as library services to state government. And I have been the Youth Services Court um, consultant there for just over 11 years. Before that, I worked in public libraries and I have been involved in um, providing food through libraries for the past six or seven years or so. And it has become quite a passion. I'm super happy to be here. And do you go by Patty or Patricia? Patricia. Patricia? Okay. And I am Patricia Perry Cook, which is in Morrow County, North Morrow. So we're between Mansfield and Mount Gilead. And um, we have a staff of nine, counting me in the fiscal officer. So we're little. We're not actually in a cornfield or a soybean field, but we're not too far from them. Sarah? I'm Sarah Schaff. I am the Discovery Librarian at Denison Libraries, but I'm also a member of Team Vittles, which is this group that's interested in helping libraries provide food to hungry kids and anything we can do to encourage that programming. So I'm really happy to be here. And Patricia, I am in the middle of a cornfield. I'm actually calling in from the middle of a farm today. So it's but your home. You're not in your library. That's true. That's true. The library is a little, well, there's a cornfield about a mile away. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, Shane, over to you. Yeah, I'm Shane Hoffman, the IT Services Manager at the Plain City Public Library, also very, very close to all the corn and soybean fields. Um, in my spare time, I do work with Sarah at Team Vittles, and I work to get community partners involved in the Summer Food Service Program and now in CACFP, since it's what's available to help combat hunger during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. I thought maybe we could start by talking a little bit about CACFP, the Child and Adult Care Food Program, and um, kind of define it for people like me who might not quite know what it is. 
Ashley, would you like to go ahead and speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So CACFP is the Child and Adult Care Food Program. It's a USDA child nutrition program. So it's a federally funded nutrition program. And each state has its own state agency that operates the program. Um, for us, it's the Ohio Department of Education. But what it does is essentially allows for meals, um, occasionally snacks as well, to be provided by sponsoring organizations or just sites in general that are sponsors and receive reimbursement for the meals provided. So there are lots of different requirements and regulations that go into you know, having a meal actually be able to be reimbursed, but it allows for, the program allows for us to do that and basically cover the costs of the meals that we provide. There, I think most of the people who are going to hear this are, are already familiar with the Summer Food Service Program. Mm -hmm. I know there are a couple of differences, uh, the primary one being the requirement to get names, uh, to take attendance essentially. Uh, are there other significant differences to this? There are. Um, so it may not be as, one, one of these might not be as difficult for libraries, but there are a couple of different like backend application requirement differences between the two programs, like information that we need to collect um, between the two programs, like fire inspections and health department notifications or health inspections, depending on how the site is operating. And um, there's also the enrichment requirement, which enrichment is required to be provided in CACFP, and it's not something that's necessarily required in SFSP. However, there are, um, the ODE, Ohio Department of Education, has given us the kind of go ahead that libraries and the services that they offer can be considered enrichment. So there's not like an additional enrichment requirement that needs to happen. So like when we initially started with the Columbus libraries, um, you know, however many years ago that was at this point, we, uh, they offer a specific like homework help tutoring kind of program. And that's the enrichment that they offer. However, even if a library doesn't offer that, if it's a smaller library or just one where that service isn't really being offered, that's still okay as long as kids have access to some resources and services that a library can provide. Oh, wow, that's good to know. All right, one other question I had, I think one of the biggest things we're seeing now is there are waivers in place that change who's able to offer, where, all that. I was wondering if you could go over some of the changes because yeah. the more you and I have talked, I think I've learned a little more each and every time. Yeah, and I am definitely not like a full-blown expert. I myself probably read through waivers like at least once a day because they change so frequently and like the wording is, you know, a little bit open to interpretation in some cases and different states are handling waivers differently. So it's kind of a conglomeration of all those things that makes it a little bit more difficult than just like reading the waiver and saying, oh, we can do this now. <laughs> so one of the main ones that I think libraries especially are kind of taking um, advantage of is the grab and go non-congregate feeding waiver. So that is a waiver that essentially means that kids don't have to eat on site anymore, which is great because I know a lot of libraries, A, maybe aren't open to the public in the same way that they used to be, or they're limiting so drastically like the number of people that can be in at one time that if they had to eat congregately, it might, you know, significantly no, limit the number of kids that they would be able to reach. 
So the waiver essentially um, allows for you to be able to pass out meals either in an indoor or outdoor setting and the kids can take the meals. They don't have to eat them on site. They can take them and they can leave. Kind of paired with this is the parent guardian pickup waiver, which allows for parents and guardians to pick up on behalf of their children. So the kids don't actually have to be physically present for them to receive a meal. They, their parent or guardian can pick it up for them and bring it home to them. So, you know, you could, a parent could pick up five meals if they have five kids, take it and you can mark off that five kids were served that day. Let's see, uh, there's mealtime and um, mealtime waivers. So you don't have to have traditionally in CACFP, it's the part that we do is after school meals. So traditionally they have to be done in after school hours, but this meal service time waiver allows for you to have a wait, have a meal service time that's outside of that traditional time frame. So if you see more of a need at like a noon time, um, if kids are like on a lunch break or you know maybe they're not in school every day or most days, um, you can move up your service time to a, a time that makes more sense and allows you to reach more kids that way. And then what Shane and I have kind of talked about back and forth is this area eligibility waiver. And that's probably been the most confusing waiver, mm-hmm. um, yes. <laughs> particularly because each state has interpreted that waiver pretty differently. And Ohio was interpreting it dur- differently during the summer than they are now, which has kind of just added to that <laughs> a little bit. So during the summer, you can qualify sites in a couple of different ways through census track, through school eligibility, income eligibility forms, a couple of other things. During For CACFP, traditionally, to qualify, this closest school to the program location has to qualify at 50% or above free and reduced priced lunch. Um, the waiver, initially, when it was introduced for the summer, lowered that threshold to 30%. Um, And the waiver extension, which is in effect until June 30th, 2021, I believe at this point, is for basically any school that participated last school year in the National School Lunch Program qualifies. So it's kind of confusing, but basically if the closest school participated in National School Lunch, no matter what percent they qualified at, they would be eligible and you could qualify a site off of them. So a little confusing, but it pretty much extends universal meals for the okay. state for now. <laughs> Can I say, oh, I'm sorry, Shane, this is Janet. Um, first of all, it, it is confusing, but Ashley, I really appreciate you're breaking it down so clearly because I, I think that you have covered each of the waivers that I'm aware of in a way that that totally makes sense to me. Um, just to just to clarify, this is for um, this is for the balance of the 2021 20, uh, you know 2020 21 school year through June of next year, and all of the meals provided by an agency like the library would be provided under CACFP, correct? Because I had heard earlier in the year something about extending summer food service program into the school year. Yeah, so initially that's what we thought we were going to be doing, was going to be extending summer food service, and that's what we had kind of operated all of our sites under through the month of September, and we kind of had to roll that back based off of some like later guidance we got from the Ohio Department of Education. So schools, most school districts, if they're not, or if they don't have 
you know, certain limitations are providing meals through either seamless summer option or summer food service program. So they're kind of operating under summer uh, guidelines, but for sponsoring organizations, unless there's a significant reason for us to provide meals under summer food service, we should be providing our meals under the child and adult care food program because it's during the school year. So that's what we're doing for on a whole for the most part. And you're correct, all of the waivers have been extended currently through June 30th of 2021. Um, there's a couple of waivers that have already been extended through the summer to like through the summer food service program. So when we transition back to being a into summer once the school year is over, there will still be a couple of waivers that have already been extended, um, like grab and go meals through, I think it's September 30th at this point. So we're, it's just kind of a balancing act to see where each waiver kind of is and which ones still need to be extended. That's kind of what we're looking at right now. And I have to, this is Patricia, I, I have to say that without those waivers, we would not have been able to provide anything. Um, we, we didn't have staff to, to worry about meals. I couldn't find a vendor to provide a hot meal or even a cold meal. It, it, those waivers made all the difference for us this year. And, and the grab and go is, is so much better for our community than having people have to come in here and sit down. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case at a lot of different places. And it's, it definitely is highlighted for us, at least comparing the number of meals we've been able to provide last school year versus the number of meals that we were able to provide during the, from the start of the pandemic to now, it's definitely illustrated. And we shared it with ODE about, you know, here's the difference that those waivers make. Um, and it's like millions of meals of difference. Really? So, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of staggering to see the numbers. It's like, for us, it's almost like a couple hundred percent increase in the number of meals we're able to provide. Now, when a library or other group wants to get involved in this, uh, I've been through this once, there are three applications for that. And what is the deadline? I'm, as I recall, it's kind of a rolling once a month, you start new groups in. Yeah, so for us, each sponsor might be a little bit different if you're looking at other sponsors in your area. Um, but uh, for us at CHA, we have a couple of different application pieces. It kind of depends on the site and how they're operating. Um, two of them, everybody does. It's like a MOU and then a general like application with program details. The third one, which is not always required, is for sites that aren't operating in the spaces that they own. So if you're, you know, looking at partnering with another organization to be able to have the meal distribution at their site, but it's not a site that you own necessarily. That's when that third piece comes into play. But for us, we have a general rolling deadline of like the second Friday of every month to add sites for the following month. So just because it does take a little bit of time to get all the documents needed, training documents, um, we do like a virtual right now pre-approval visit with sites to see the space that they're going to be having um, the meal service and stuff like that. So for us, it's generally the Friday, second Friday of every month, but that can change a little bit. So um, if you know you are interested, I just recommend reaching out because we can kind of tell you based off of that when we'd be able to start you when you're like when you email us and when you're looking to kind of get started. This time of the year is always a little bit more tricky because we've got more holidays in the mix kind of. So our December deadline closed last Friday. So we'll be looking at um, January starts for most of our sites at this point, which is 
probably a good thing just because we've got Thanksgiving and then the winter break holiday in there anyway. So it's kind of difficult for um, vendor deliveries and things like that. And let me, let me just say this. I mean, I, I've been trying to offer meals here for the last four years. And, and quite frankly, I don't remember how the Children's Healthcare Alliance came into our lives, but it, y'all made all the difference in the world for us. I mean, it just, shelf stable snacks are perfect for what we do. And, and I found the application process to be a lot less onerous than trying to file for the summer food service program, which I, I will tell you, I'm a pretty bright lady, but I just still did not understand that process. So um, thank you. And, and, and we love Laura, our, our uh, contact, and, and we couldn't manage this without Children's Hunger Alliance. So thank you guys. And I, I grabbed the snack. I don't, I know we're not going to do it, but you know, in case this is, is kind of looks like what my lunch would be on a given day. So there's some milk and juice. Um, this one is, uh, there's some sesame seeds. There's always some fruit, uh, dried fruit. And then there's chips and salsa. So, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of what my, my lunch looks like on a given day. So I think for a kid, I mean, we call them snacks, but you know, and for the, the kids in our community, that's, that's a decent meal. So the favorite one right now, I think is the chicken jerky bits. Yeah. Those are big hit usually, but <laughs> thank you. Thanks for showing that, Patricia. It's nice to be able to see how big the meal kits are. Those are really good. Yeah. That's, yes. and, and it's funny because the kids will come in now and they'll be like, mm, what do you have today? <laughs> so we will, we will break a box and mix two boxes so they can have some choices. Um, we don't right now have a lot of kids in the building for obvious reasons. So we're not doing a lot of um, meals, but I expect that once the programming starts back up in person, um, I imagine our numbers are going to go through the roof because that'll be at least 30, 35 kids a week. I mean, I think right now we do seven or eight a day, but um, yeah. if, if that, and so, and they're just, they're just nice and they're cute. The kids love the bags. It's like opening a treasure bag and, and, um, and, and the fact that we can give them to parents to take home matters because a lot of times the parents are coming in right now without the kids, again, for obvious reasons. And so just being able to hand them a, a, a parent, a bag and, and let them go on about their business to be able to do it, you know, during the day when we, they happen to be here, not a specific time. Um, those are all really, really helpful things for a site like us. That's great. Yeah. And I, I should mention too. Um, so pretty much all the meals that we provide are considered dinners. However, the shelf stable meals, we kind of have marketed more as like a super snack so that it's more accessible to programs like libraries that maybe saying dinner right off the bat can kind of sound a bit daunting. And it's like automatically it's like a, is that something we've got to refrigerate or, you know, it just kind of brings up a lot more um, questions and concerns more so. So to kind of mitigate that, we've offered them and marketed them as super snacks so they're mostly shelf stable meals and they meet all of the same like portion size requirements that our dinners do, but so they are, you know, more of a meal, but we can still market them in a way that is, makes them a bit more accessible to programs. And I have appreciated that because otherwise, I don't know that we could have managed. I, I just, I just, I was just about ready to give up on offering food again this year. And 
again, Janet, I'm going to blame you. I'm pretty sure you must have put us. <laughs> together, so, um. I, I, I feel like. I feel like I had some sort of role in this. I do know you had mentioned, <laughs> Patricia, that, that you know, not being able to really reconstruct how Perry Cook Memorial Library and Children's Hunger Alliance got connected to each other. Jared Berger, who works with Ashley in the after school area of Children's Hunger Alliance, and I met a while ago through probably an Ohio after school network event or another or I, I don't remember how we met maybe it was at the summer food service program summit I don't know we hit it off and he started he's he and I started talking about getting more libraries involved because of I mean, we can go into this or not all of the many ways that libraries are excellent locations to be providing food for kids out of even though libraries are also traditionally completely dissociated from food in people's minds, you know, a lot of them have a sign on the door that says no food allowed. And that's, you know, so there's a barrier right there in addition to other barriers, but, but having food in the library is a way to break barriers down. So anyway, Jared and I got to talking and he wanted libraries recommended to him. And I remember that you and I, Patricia, have had conversations over time about trying to get your library involved in summer food service program. And you are, in the middle of a geographic area where sponsors, uh, SFSP sponsors are few and far between. And having a statewide organization like CHA that could come and, and work with a site that is geographically remote from sponsors. And this is another reason that shelf stable meals are such a great thing because you don't have to be within- Absolutely. Heating food distance of your kitchen. Um, in order to participate. So it was, I mean, it was, it was a match made somewhere good. Well, and when we talk about sponsors, I had really, really worked hard on that this year. And the best I could do was an organization out of Toledo, which is a good two hours from us, um, who would bring the meals down hot because they provide meals for the senior center at Mount Gilead. But honestly, I, I spent years working food service. So I'm kind of a snot about my food. And I didn't want to eat something that the, that had been on a truck for two hours and was maybe still at temp, but maybe not. And I certainly wasn't going to try to tempt children to eat it because, uh, you know, I, we we have preschool programming. The kids bring snacks in as part of the program. So they're learning to sit at a table. They're learning, you know, basic table manners. And, and some of the things I have seen just have horrified. I mean, little ones with these giant bags of Funyuns and a, a, a big Gatorade and just, you know, so trying to, to help them understand nutritious food in a, in a format they want, a hot meal that wasn't right anymore wasn't going to do that. So this, this is so much better. I mean, everybody loves chips and salsa. There it is. It's nice. But, you know, maybe, maybe we haven't tried, um, oh, what is it in there that, well, we probably haven't tried that cherry juice. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a fight. And, and so they're very attractive, but they're, you know, we, we don't have storage. We don't have a place to cook anything. And, and there is nothing for 10 miles square. There's no grocery store. There's no restaurant. There's no coffee shop. So we are definitely uh, a food desert. And when I worked, you know, DeKalb County, Georgia, we knew food deserts, but they looked a lot grittier and more sidewalks. And so this is, you know, it's a big change for me too, just in terms of perception. Absolutely. I have a feeling that perception question is one that Shane deals with a little bit too in Madison County. It's, it's just really hard 
to recognize your community as a food desert. You know, it's a, it really is that shift in thinking. What is one of the reasons though, I, I, I get so very, very frustrated when we offer snacks and we really, you know, I mean, this summer people were good about taking them, but then, then they were like, you know, there's, there's a, a family across two families living together in a horrible, horrible little house. There's eight kids. They're like wild animals because there's a lot of addiction in the house. There's, you know, there's, there's nobody raising the kids. I walked some of the snacks over to them a couple of days this summer to say, look, we got these here. They are for you. Please just walk across the street. Mm-hmm. But they won't do it. It makes me crazy. So of course they're not doing their schoolwork and they certainly don't come over here for books either. So it's not just, it's not just the food, but, but, you know, the children's hunger Alliance was the difference between us offering food and not offering food. And Ashley, am I right? Didn't you offer services in all 88 counties too in Ohio? Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit kind of convoluted. There are some in normal times, there are some counties that don't have a school in the area that qualifies. So that can be kind of tricky for us, but we have vendors in pretty much all of the major metropolitan areas. And so far they've been willing to go wherever we need them to. Um, So we've been very lucky to have great vendors that will go and do that and will, you know, make our food accessible to people who need them. There can be some different, you know, necessities that we have with like getting meals to a certain area, like a minimum number of um, boxes that need to go on the truck to begin with. But we've been pretty able, pretty much able to like coordinate that or like make sure that there are several stops along the route that can get the trucks out to where they need to go to be able to give meals. So we haven't found a place that we haven't been able to service. I'll say that. (laughs) I was just thinking, I'm sure, you know, we all have stories like Patricia's where we know the need, but we don't um, it's nice to know we have a place to go for the delivery, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if it ever got to that point, do you think any of your vendors would be willing to allow sites that you had approved pick up? That's a good question. Um, we haven't had that happen, I don't think, at any point, but I'm sure it's not out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. I think they'd much rather us have us go or have them go there. And then, you know, they do, we do pay in some cases, we pay like a premium charge to have them go to some sites for us. So that's happened before and is something that, you know, we're relatively comfortable with as well. I do some work outside the library. I tend to look at finding areas in the community that might benefit and going out and trying to get them involved. And I've, you know, you've worked with me with a number of these sites. So I just had a couple of questions for others who might run into these. Yeah. Like one of the issues I've run into is I had a site set up, ready to go. And then they just had a number of internal wrecking balls hit their organization. And I'm sure with uh, COVID ramping up, other groups are going to have this uh, problem. How easy is it to like switch to find another location to do service at? And if something happens, what what do I do with the 30 boxes of food I have for them right now? Yeah, um, that's a good, those are good questions. So, you know, I think it depends a lot on, you know, different relationships you may have in the area and that might vary for every person. But, you know, if you have an alternative place to go, it's kind of, 
you know, difficult because it is like almost like a brand new application process because each application has to be tied to a particular address. So when the address changes, it creates like a new, a brand new application process. But, you know, usually we can kind of help speed that along a little bit if we've got most of the same information or it's not gonna change too frequently. So it can definitely be frustrating. We've, we've, it's happened a lot. It happens all the time, even normally, but it's happened more so this year because you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, the building now doesn't want us to have programming here because of COVID. And so it's definitely not uncommon. Um, for the books that you have on site right now, I would just say probably use them for journey, um, community church and that program, maybe move those around somehow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something that we can work with for sure. It's just a matter of probably trying to identify in your community, which areas might be willing to let you do that and have the right resources for you to be able to move a program there potentially. Thank you. I guess one question I had was just really practical. So if, if you guys would be willing to share, this is more for Patricia and Janet and also for you, Shane, you know, just what is kind of what does all this look like on the ground? We've talked a little bit about the application process and kind of the ins and outs, but how, what are some of your favorite stories? How is this running? Like, and a kind of Monday through Friday example. Well, I, I'd say for us, Thursdays and Fridays are pretty slow, but I think it's because they're slow period. I mean, one of the reasons we're still open when most of the state is red is we get 20 people in here a day. It's a big day for us. So we don't have a lot of foot traffic. And during the summer, we, um, we hosted the school system to do, um, to do their drop off for some of their meals for the summer. So while they were doing that, we didn't do the, we didn't do the snacks on Mondays cause they were here. Um, but those other four days, you know, on Mondays we'd say, Hey, but come back tomorrow because we'll have, and, and that seemed to matter quite a bit. Um, so again, right now we don't have a lot. We're not putting a lot out into the community because they're just, we don't have a lot of folks coming through the doors and, and, and I will admit trying to get programming up and, and, and moving has, has taken a lot of energy. So we probably need to do another Facebook post, do a little more publicity, make sure people know it's here. I think right now we're probably doing eight to 10 meals a day or snacks a day. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I finally wised up and, and I have one of my staff members taking care of it now because poor Laura, you know, every day she'd be like, Did you, will you please post your numbers? And, and, and I, I, I forget, I'm pretty sure I have ADD. I'm pretty sure that I just wander around. And, and so thank God Shelby every day gets numbers posted, gets numbers turned in, does the monthly count. It's, it's just, it's fine. So, um, and there's been some good stuff. I mean, Laura recently asked me for a copy of our fire inspection and I've been here going on five years. We've never been inspected that I knew about. Um, so got that taken care. Oh yeah. Yeah. Got that taken care of. Um, our fire marshal is, is um he's a pretty easy guy so yeah so he came and did it and turns out I thought he'd just come in and look at the fire extinguishers and say you're okay but he did not and I I, I actually welcome that as an opportunity to tidy ourselves up a little bit but just day to day it's just the record keeping which I now no longer am in charge of and and I know from years of being a librarian numbers equal money and so you know I I know, Ashley, y'all aren't just trying to be snots. It's, it's important. So, um, 
So when I screw up, I, I apologize, but Shelby should be keeping us on the straight and narrow these days. And, you know, they're checking out. We say, hey, we got snacks. Don't, do you need snacks for your kids? And folks take them. And, um, and that's working out for us. One of the things I really appreciate about uh, the model during waivers, uh, a lot of the sites aren't really looking to do multiple times a week, but what we can do is tell them, hey, you can set it up. They can come in once a week and pick up five meals per kid. I think that boosted our numbers a lot because when we were starting out over the summer, we had almost no one coming in. But once we started handing out, you know, a whole week's worth of meals, mm -hmm. people started coming in in much bigger numbers. I think we started out with maybe five people coming through. And then by the end of the summer, we were up to 20 and 25 that's a huge increase, Shane, and that's I mean that's that's reaching the people during the summer. This uh, this is summer food service program, and I'm pretty sure that the um, the sponsor was Mid Ohio Food Bank, not CHA, but the Licking County Library participated in summer food service program. They have in the past, but this year with the grab and go situation, they they had library staff setting up meals on Mondays to provide families a week's worth of meals at a shot. So if the family could come by on Monday and pick up the shelf stable meals for the week. And I, they sent pictures of what this looked like. It was an enormous, I mean, there were tables and tables and tables of meals and, and the library staff whose jobs have been very disrupted this year as, um, as those of you who are library staff know that most of what you ordinarily do for a living, like help people find books and materials and information and do story times and do book clubs and do all kinds of different programs and welcome people into your libraries. Library staff aren't doing most of that this year, um, so which opens up some kind of weird spaces in people's time. And so one of the things that they were doing with their time was setting up um, a thousand meals a week to distribute. It's amazing how much food the library was able to distribute into the community. And there were, there were a lot of things about this year and the waivers that are available this year that really facilitated uh, participation. That's wonderful. I uh, know. I just wanted to also say that my local library is a library that distributes um, meals through Children's Hunger Alliance. It's one of the Columbus Metropolitan Library branches. And there are a lot, there are a lot of teens in the neighborhood who just walk to the library from, from their homes, from where they're staying. And, and they know to go to the library and they can pick up their super snack at the library and just take care of it themselves. Yeah, I was just going to say, I have to give a shout out to Licking County. That's my home library. And it, that area is an incredible food desert. And so the, the main library where Janet was talking about them having, you know, just tables and tables of these bags of food, you know, setting out like a thousand ready to go, grab and go kind of bags. Um, that whole neighborhood, it, it needs, really needs that kind of attention. And um, one of the things I did in the before times was work at the the food pantry that's right across the street from the library. And we routinely saw just this huge need. So to see it being filled so easily, you know, through these programs, it's really, really neat. Yeah, those pictures were amazing too, Janet. And I think one thing we've hit on sort of here, there, we've gotten pieces of it, but just to bring it all into one shot, there is not a whole lot of work involved on the library side or whatever community partner you find. 
you have that two, maybe three page application. There's a couple hours of online training. Ashley, stop me if I skip something here. Since if you're doing the grab and go meals, you have the fire inspection and a walkthrough. There's no health inspection if you're not doing hot and cold. And then afterwards, at the end of each session where you hand out food, you go online and you fill in the number of meals you used and what you have left. And there's also the matter of just basically taking attendance. You take the name of the children who are receiving the food as they get it. And unless I'm forgetting something, that's pretty much all the work. Children's Hunger Alliance does all the heavy lifting. <laughs> you don't have to cook the food. You don't have to pay the bills. Children's Hunger Alliance does all of that. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The main piece with record keeping is just that it's attendance and point of service check marks. Um, we have gotten flexibilities from ODE to do if your library doesn't allow you to collect first and last names for some reason. We've gotten permission to do first name, last initial before. Um, so we can certainly try to accommodate that for anybody who's concerned um, about confidentiality, you know, policies and things like that. And yeah, then it's just entering numbers on the website so that we know, you know, how much you use and when you might need a reorder um, so that we can keep track of that. But we try not to make it too um, burdensome. I know that the beginning of this year was a bit, it's been a bit crazier than normal because we've had to flip back and forth a little bit between program types and things like that. But now that we're into the school year, we've pretty much sorted out everything we've needed to sort out with these new waivers and such. So it's, it's pretty smooth sailing, I should say. With the uh, resupplies, when we start to run low, is there a notification that goes out when a truck is going to show up a particular week or do they just show up? Um, it depends a little bit um, on the site's preferences, things like that. If the building's not always staffed and you need to be made aware of it, we can definitely, we can definitely record that and then try to let you know when we have deliveries going out. We usually get routes from the vendor the Friday before the week that they're going to start making deliveries for the following week. So we can, but we generally don't unless it's requested by the site. Gotcha. I know I've got one of the sites I work with and me personally, we panic a little when we get low and I didn't know if we should be asking you or what, because I know you guys are on top of it. You've got the whole thing automated, but... Yeah, it's it's not a entirely foolproof, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say the first couple of times that you don't need to do it because we we reorder for sites based off of like reorder percentages that we have to put in manually, and it's based off of how much a site serves on a given day or week. So the reorder percentage might need to be tweaked a couple of times when a site first starts to be able to fully get it right, but we it never hurts to send us an email. We don't mind it. We can, it always gives us a chance to check and we can say either, yep, you're on the delivery or no, we are showing this. Do you think you might need more than that? Go from there. Thank you. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, does anybody have any more uh, stories to add to this or any questions? All right. Well, then, uh, Ashley, I'll just end with a one last question for you. How, how do we get a hold of you if someone wants to 
request an application or has some questions about getting started? Yeah, sure. So um, my direct phone line, you can always call and, uh, and we can talk over the phone, but my direct line is 614-643-8036. And my email address is a little bit long. I'll spell it out, but it might be easier to leave a link to it. Um, we can do <laughs> that. Well. But it's uh, A-R-O-U-D-E-B-U-S-H at childrenshungeralliance.org. We have regional specialists, like um, Patricia was mentioning, uh, Laura Cordero is our Northeast specialist. Um, but we have regional specialists that handle kind of the application process per region. So my, you know, initial conversation might just be to connect you with them to get you started, but I'm happy to be um, your point person to at least to get a hold of somebody from our organization. Well, and Ashley, it's, it's been nice meeting you because uh, yeah. Laura's really the only contact we've had so far. So it's nice knowing <laughs> another name, but, but we couldn't manage without y'all. So thank you very, very much. Problem. Thank you for the work that you're doing on the ground. We, we very much appreciate all of our partnerships for sure. Um, and we've, you know, especially the ones that we've kind of gotten to either explore or, you know, add on during this time to serve their communities that do have a really high need. So we appreciate all the work that all of you do. All right. Well, thank you very much. And we will get this out and available sometime in the next couple of days. Sounds great. Thank you all so right. much for organizing this, Shane and Sarah. Yeah. And Ashley, thank you for being here, Patricia. You're awesome. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye. Oh, thank Bye, you guys. All, Patricia. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ashley. It was nice meet you, Sarah, Shane. Thank you again for joining Team Vittles in their podcast. You can find more information about Team Vittles at www.teamvittles.org or on Facebook and Twitter. The theme music for our podcast is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit. You can find them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash illogicalbit. Music promoted by www-free-stock-music.com Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported.